Welcome to the Green Acres Garden Podcast with Farmer Fred. It's the podcast that'll help gardeners like you get an even greener thumb. Whether you're new to gardening or a seasoned horticulturist, you're sure to learn something new. I'm Farmer Fred, Master Gardener Fred Hoffman, and today we're talking about how to bring new life to shady areas around your house with the right plants and the right accessories. May is an excellent time for planting vegetables here. The soil's warm, the days are long, everything grows quicker in May. Today's Green Acres staff pick features a fruit that's underappreciated here. It's easy to grow, very prolific, and very tasty too. It's Asian pears. We have a list of things to do in the garden this week as well. Welcome to episode 16 of the Green Acres Garden Podcast. Let's go. If you've lived in your house for a number of years, you probably have more shade than you used to have. And that's true if you move to a house that has full-grown trees. You may have a shady yard. What grows well here in the shade? No better person to ask than Green Acres Nursery and Supplies, Greg Gayton. Plants for the shade, Greg. Let's uh, let's talk about those for a few minutes. What are uh, some ones that uh, people come in and ask about and uh, go home with? First of all, you got to figure out what kind of shade you have. Do you have really heavy shade where you don't see your shadow? Or do you have like dappled shade where like a between trees where you can see some light or do you have like morning sun afternoon shade um, and you know a lot of people come in here and they have like walkways going to their house that goes directly into full shade so they have little areas and they they throw their hands up going oh nothing's going to grow there I've tried growing things there are shrubs that do really well in situations like that for example for full shade where you have an area where it doesn't get hardly any sunlight. There are some nice shrubs like the sweet box, uh, otherwise known as Sarcococca russifolia. Thank you. It has a white flower that um, is very fragrant, very star jasmine-like, puts out a little tiny berry, so it gives you a little bit of a focal point. Another one that takes full shade would be a kuba or the gold dust plant. It'll really lighten up an area. It gets a little red berry in the fall. Um, if you want something that grows a little bit tall as a backdrop, you can't beat it. It's, it's very, very, very attractive. Yeah, these are great plants for the north side of the house, especially that have a lot of shade. And yeah, that sweet box is definitely a show for the nose. And there's all sorts of other uh, leafy plants that take full shade. That And the variegation in the leaves also makes these plants stand out on the north side of the house, like eucharis. Oh, sure. You know, your cor- your corabelles come in oh, a whole color palette of uh foliage colors and they really brighten up an area um so you know that's something you know foliage color will definitely make a a dark area brighten up and you know one thing you want to realize is maybe putting a little bit of white rock in the area will actually accent the the plants and draw your attention to that place put a bench in there so you can sit and you can relax during the hot summer days it's going to be like a little oasis but there's a lot of other plants that would grow on there. Ground covers like Japanese spurge, which look really nice. Or if water's a problem and more drought tolerant, you'd go with like something like Daphne. That takes that does best with morning sun, afternoon shade. Um, that really thrives and does well. You know, consider putting a really colorful or bright like a white pot in there that will actually showcase some of the foliage too and attract your attention to that dark area and attract your attention to those plants too. 
Yeah, let's uh, spend a little time talking about the Daphne, especially the winter Daphne, the Daphne Odora. Great for the north side of the house. And the blossoms in January and February, they may be small, but what a show for the nose. Oh, they're very, 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 very strong. And when you, you can walk into one of our nurseries in January and February. I guess I shouldn't use the word strong. They're sweet smelling. How's that? Um, you can actually smell it when you walk into some of our stores because it is so fragrant. And people really are drawn to that. All right, so we've taken care of the north side of the house. Let's go over to the east side of the house where you're, where you're going to get morning sun and afternoon shade. And that really opens up the palette for plants. It sure does. So you've got plants. Uh, you can have color year-round. So, for example, camellias and uh, like the sun camellias that start blooming in late fall and come through January and February. Then you've got your japonicas that grow from February into right about now, which is going into April and May. You've got your azaleas. You've got your rhododendrons that do really well. There's a gazillion varieties of azaleas you can plant out there. There's so much you can add. In the summertime, you could add colors like impatience and begonias would really bring open and really lighten up an area. So a lot of plants do really well there. Japanese maples are just fantastic. Um, they love that morning, sun, afternoon shade. If you have a small area where you want like a focal point, like a lace-leaf Japanese maple will do really well with morning, sun, afternoon shade. For those of you trying to figure out what is the sound in the background, well, obviously we're at a Green Acres Nursery and Supply Store in the springtime, so it's busy here. And the woman who just went by with a cartload of pottery that she's buying here. Yeah, and uh, that's something that's not unusual. We sell pottery like it's crazy. And pottery is a really good addition to a shady area. Another thing is you use your senses, um, not just your sight, but you can like your put a little fountain like we have in the background here. You can probably hear them and your microphone, but that'll actually draw you to the area too. So there's a lot of different plants and flowers that will grow in a shady location. But remember to add things like fountains, water features, and that too appeal to your other senses the sweet box will appeal to your, your you know the fragrance the the water feature will sound and you would be amazed at how awesome you can change a really dark area into a cheerful relaxation spot i really like these little fountains it's uh it looks like a big pot really but the top is flat so it's also serving as a bird bath and as the water trickles down the side it's picked up in openings along the side so the water is recirculating and it stands about three feet tall so that that's a nice little bird bath too it's a perfect bird bath and they're very low maintenance you just fill up the reservoir inside and you just plug them in that's all you do and like these that we have here you can't see them but they're nice and white and bright be perfect for a shade garden you know have like a little nest nest uh, walkway that's nestled in the back with a with a fountain a little chair have some the sweet box or some cora bells around it uh, you can have a beautiful shade garden yeah it, it's excellent it's a that's a very good addition to add that sound yes. to your garden yes and that'll draw you in or even put like a wind chime in the back um you know and like you said fred this attracts birds you'll have birds back there you're going to bring a lot of life to your shade garden and if you have a pollinator garden where you're attracting uh, bees and butterflies and and beneficial insects as well they need a source of water 
and a, a fountain like that would certainly attract them and keep them around. Oh yeah, and it's and like I said, it's easy. All you do is fill them with water and plug them in, and the pumps. Um, they do eventually go out, you know, after a number of years, but they're easy to replace and it's really cheap to, to replace too. And of course you have replacement pumps here at Green Acres. Of course, I wanted to mention that. <laughs> well, we took a nice little scenic bypass there from shade plants to uh, other accruedments for the shade, like a fountain. And I like your idea of the white rocks and also the white pottery, too. And, you know, add a little light in the nighttime. You know, you can even add like a moon garden plant. You know, have white pots with with plants that uh, have white flowers to it. You know, this, there's so much that you can do. You know, the, you know, you just get creative and have a lot of fun and ask a lot of our folk out here. We're happy to help out. Greg at Green Acres Nursery and Supply. We learned a lot today. Thank you. It's my pleasure. A lot of people think that, oh, planting season is over at the end of April. No, it's not. May is actually a great time to plant your summer warm season vegetable garden and, uh, shall we say, helper garden in our area. What do we mean by helper garden? Well, we'll get to that. We're talking with Debbie Flowers. She is our resident consulting college horticultural professor, retired, and always has good tips for us from planting from seed and planting from transplants. And Debbie, it is not too late. In fact, May is, I think, the ideal time to plant, but everybody's in such a darn hurry. The uh, soil is still warmer in May. The air temperatures are still somewhat moderate in May. And it's a great time to uh, do some serious planting. Yes, it is. And and having uh, lived my the first portion of my life on the East Coast in in New York and New Jersey, and getting my undergraduate degree at Rutgers, the State University of New Jersey, May was drilled into me as the month to plant the vegetable garden and put out the summer annuals. And I continued that as I moved around the country to Tucson, Arizona, Portland, Oregon, Reno, Nevada, and then finally to Central Valley, California. And it has worked well for me all of those years. As a college professor, I wasn't really free, uh, didn't have a lot of free time until May. And so even though I could have planted sooner in California, I didn't wasn't able to, but I always had a successful garden. Regardless of where I lived, if I planted those vegetables and summer annuals in May. So it's a great time to plant. Bragging. Bragging. Okay. <laughs> but, and, you know, you talk to the people up in the foothills around here and they'll tell you, yeah, we don't plant till Mother's Day. That's not bad advice mm-hmm. for the valley as well. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Successful. You will be you will be successful if you plant in May. So let's talk about vegetables A to Z. Well, almost A to Z, but actually the A is a, is a rather important component of any vegetable garden. Yes, it's one that I try to have in my yard, my landscape close to the vegetable garden or or even further away all the time. Winter, spring, summer and fall. Um, and that's sweet alyssum. Alyssum is an annual plant. It is uh, small, low to the ground, ground cover, comes in white, pink, uh, purple, and it is very attractive to the beneficial insects who will help control the insects in my garden. And so I try to have it really good under roses. Uh, I, I try to have it around my vegetable garden so that those the, the beneficial insects we call beneficials because they eat or 
in some way uh, control the population of insects that attack our plants. That that they get their the beneficial insect gets their protein meal by eating the insect, but they also need a sugar meal, and the sugar meal comes from flowers, and the flowers have to be a certain shape and size and presented in a certain way for the beneficials to be able to get into them and and get the nectar out of the center of the flower. It's not every flower that is benef- that will feed a beneficial insect, but alyssums will feed a lot of them. And so I try to always have it around the garden. Alyssum uh, is very popular among ladybugs, the lady beetles, and also for hoverflies, which sort of look like little bees that hover and dart quickly away, but they don't sting. Uh, they actually lay eggs, uh, usually on leaves, uh, which hatch into green, yellow, brown, orange, or white half-inch maggots that look like caterpillars, and then they raise up on their hind legs when they're in that caterpillar stage mm-hmm. to catch and feed on aphids, mealybugs, and others. Right. And they're somewhat see-through. You can sort of see their organs inside of them. Yeah. If you look closely, uh, don't be afraid of them and don't kill them. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, hoverflies also very attractive to a lot of perennials that are very popular in our area. And one that I'm thinking of, which tends to bloom not so much in May, although they are still in bloom, but they tend to bloom from fall through early uh, or late spring. And that's the um, Uriops. Oh, yes. Mediterranean, very drought tolerant uh, shrub that is evergreen and has these bright yellow daisies on them. Daisy flowers tend to be very attractive to many beneficials. Right. All right. But we digress. Anyway, uh, alyssum is, is a necessary component, I think, of any vegetable garden. I agree. So that's our A plant. All right. What's a B plant? Beans. Beans. Snap beans. 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 Yes. The musical fruit. Yes. The- <laughs> We're talking about be- green beans, basically. Snap beans. Beans you would eat fresh. Not, not, not Although horticultural beans, which are the ones that are the uh, musical fruit, yes. uh, can also be grown in the vegetable garden. There's a lot of good uh, snap beans out there. Uh, there are pole beans and there are bush beans. I've always preferred the bush beans just because they tend to max out at uh, 15 or 24 inches, whereas the pole beans, they need support. Yes, this year, I, I, I agree. I've almost always grown the bush beans, and I, I like to grow the purple ones because they're easy to find on the plant and easy to harvest. <laughs> they turn green when you cook them, yeah. so they look like a regular green snap bean when you serve them, but they are uh, easier to harvest. The, the green beans are the same color as the leaves, and I always miss some, and then they they continue to develop. They get big and fat and get seed beans inside of them and beans have to be harvested in order to keep producing if you let one if you let them mature so that they do have seeds inside of them that are are big uh it'll stop producing other beans and that's not my goal my goal is to have the beans to eat and when i miss harvesting them that reduces my crop so i like the purple ones this year i'm going to try pole beans i have a structure out in my garden that i'm going to uh put trellis them onto so wish me luck okay it shouldn't i shouldn't need it beans are very easy to grow and they should be planted directly into the soil from seed we know a a nursery uh person in our area who, who who swears by this advice and that is don't water where you've planted beans until the first leaves appear you, so you're going to you, plant them into moist soil. You plant them into moist the soil, soil, but yes, you don't put any more water on them until you see 
the I guess the first true set of leaves. And I think the reason for that is that water tends to cool the soil off. Uh, beans really need a warm soil. And the reason we can plant in May and have so, so much success is that the soil should be very warm. I went out and measured my soil in the middle of March, and it was only 45 degrees. So beans will not germinate. They will just rot. Fungus will grow faster than the bean plant will grow the, out of the seed. And so the fungus will eat the bean before the bean can get out of the ground. In, in May, we should have very warm soils, warm enough that those uh, beans should germinate very quickly. And quick germination gets them out of the ground before anything can consume them. And it gets them up. But water, and it, same goes for other uh, plants that we direct seed into the garden. Water will cool the soil off, and it might cool it down below the level at which that uh, seed can grow successfully. Yeah, it's uh, pretty amazing at uh, how vigorous plants can grow once the soil is warm enough. And we're talking about temperatures that could be in the 70s, soil temperatures that could be in the 70s. Right. And that is a really nice soil temperature for germination of beans. If when I start things in the in the greenhouse, I will put them on bottom heat and the bottom heat doesn't feel warm to me, but it will keep the soil at around that 70, 75, 80 degree point, And that helps the seeds germinate quickly. So and when when our garden soil has gotten that warm, we can grow all kinds of things successfully from seed in that garden. Exactly. And there are uh, so many things, uh, so many great vegetables that you can plant uh, this month that if you missed it in April, you didn't miss anything. May is a good time to plant all sorts of things. One uh, vegetable that really has a long planting season, I'm talking about uh, most months you could plant these, and that would be carrots. Yes, right. They can take they can germinate from 45 degrees all the way up to 85 degrees. So, yes, that that is a plant that has a very long season. They're very tiny seeds, and so they can be whereas a, a bean you can have your children plant. It's a great uh activity to do with even young children, carrots not so much. So, I like to uh rough up the soil, put the carrots in and then cover it with if I have some very fine soil or make very fine soil by rubbing it between my hands and or uh, something called vermiculite, which is a, you buy it in a bag. It's a mined version of the rock mica and it has been heated. So the mica expands and it has lots of uh, in and out parts to it that hold water uh, and that keeps the seeds moist. All seeds have to be kept mm -hmm. moist until they germinate if they dry then the if the seed dries then the seed is dead and it will not regrow so plant that plant those the reason for using the vermiculite is it's very lightweight and it allows light through it if if you plant a seed too deeply it doesn't get above ground in time to make its own food a seed contains food in it and a fully formed baby plant when we germinate a seed we are making that baby plant exit the seed coat and it is living on the food in the seed. And it, so it only has so much food before it can get into the light and make its own food. Carrot seeds are very tiny. They have very little plant and a very little bunch of food for that plant to live on. So it doesn't has to be very near the surface. But if it's very near the surface, it dries out quickly. So you put this vermiculite on top of it 
it reflects the light all the way down to the soil. So it's not stopping the light because it's very shiny. Mica is very shiny, but it holds moisture. So it, it, it's a, a really good way to get a small seed to germinate and grow successfully in the garden. Oh, but give us a tip about planting those teeny tiny carrot seeds so that we don't put too many in, in one spot. Yeah, there you kind of have to develop a technique so you don't put uh, too many in one spot. And you can read all kinds of techniques like putting them in a jar with sand or something and shaking them up. I've never done that because <laughs> to me it's just chaos. Uh, but one that a student taught me, and that's one of the wonderful things about teaching is you learn lots of things from your students, is to use a chopstick and have a little container of water and put the seeds in some a bowl, put water in a bowl, dip the chopstick into the water and then touch the seeds and you will get one, maybe two, but you won't get the whole pack of seeds and then you have to tap it off into the soil and then do it again at the next spot. So you can space your seeds that way. How far would you space that those little chopstick drops apart? With carrots, I'd probably go two to three inches. Okay. Depends on the carrot. You know, you, some are short and fat and some are long and thin. And for carrots, you need very uh, til- soil with very good tilth. Tilth means that it's open and loose. It, and it has to be open and loose for the length of the carrot. So if you've got poor soil and only the top is, is open and loose, then you buy the short, uh, that you grow the short fat carrots. And so your spacing might be slightly different based on the thickness of the carrots that you have chosen. But the time will come when you have to thin them out so that they're standing uh, two inches apart, two or three inches apart. Mm-hmm. How do you do that? Do you yank out the ones or do you cut them? You have to cut them. Cut them, don't Especially yank. with something like a carrot. Uh, you see those weird pictures of carrots online that are multi-shaped or multi, they have, they look like they have legs or something. Uh, and that may be, that's a case where that root was disturbed in some way. Hmm. And if you were to pull out a, a carrot seedling growing close to another carrot seedling, you will disturb the roots of the one you're keeping and you'll end up with a weird looking carrot. So get out your fine little snippers and start snipping. Or grow your fingernails, yes. <laughs> yes, that too, yes. And and again, the spacing between uh, carrots, I guess it really depends on the eventual uh, girth of the carrot, but probably what, two inches, three inches? Two to three inches, I would say, yes. And it's a temptation to just throw the seed in and see what happens and say, oh, I'll thin it later. But it's hard to thin later. Yeah. It's hard uh, physically, because you got to get out there and work in with very small things in in a tight spaces, and but emotionally, <laughs> you, you you started all these carrots and now you're killing them. So uh, I would strongly advise people to space their seeds early on. Well, that brings planting. up that brings up the question: those carrot tops that you snipped to make uh, room for just one are those uh, snips edible? Oh, absolutely. Okay. Have you ever read the Boxcar Children? No. Oh, it's it's a series of children's books. I really enjoyed it. Read it to my sons. It's about children who I don't remember why they lose their parents, but they go live in a in a boxcar on the side of some you know that's parked somewhere, and they uh, go to a the the boy who's in charge goes to a local farmer and gets all the thinnings out of the garden, and that's what they eat. Wow. Oh. Golly, that's sad. <laughs> but okay. <laughs> well, the, okay, the, never mind. <laughs> the, the the good part with carrots, uh, they come in a lot of colors too. 
They do come in a lot of colors. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So you can have a very colorful salad. Mm-hmm. Well, we're we're progressing about as well as one can expect to progress. Uh, talking <laughs> about vegetables A to Z uh, in, in our swamp of molasses here, it seems. Let's uh, let's move on to Swiss chard. Yes, I like Swiss chard. Chard's a wonderful vegetable. And yeah. I, there's another one that can grow. I would say, and there there are nursery people that disagree with me, but I say you can grow Swiss chard here in the summer. It doesn't bolt if you grow it where it gets afternoon shade. I agree. I don't have much afternoon shade in my garden, and I have it year-round as well. I just plant it on a slightly cooler side of the garden. Mm-hmm. It is, yeah, you can have it year-round. It is a wonderful plant for that reason, besides the fact that you, you, in my mind, you get two vegetables out of it. You, you get the softer, leafy part, and you get the stems. And I'll use them two different ways. I'll cut the leaf part off of the stems and uh, use them, let's say, in a stir fry, but at different points in the stir fry, and I'll get end up with the crunchy stems and the soft leaves. So it's it's a, a very nutritional, easy to grow vegetable, and you can get colorful ones of those as well. All right, so you're eating the leaves, but from what I understand, it's actually a bottomless beet. Right. Which means there's right. nothing growing underground except roots. Right, so it's very closely related to a beet, yes. Yeah. Uh, chard, I, I like chard in a salad raw. There are those that would prefer to saute it with garlic or shallots and maybe topped with some balsamic vinegar. It's up to you. Right. All right, chard, add it to your garden. And again, you can find it as transplants in May. You can also start it from seed in May. Right, and you can you can start it from seed all the way through the summer, even through August. Yeah, uh, it really, I think it's an underutilized uh, green in, in our diet. Yes, I agree. All right, uh, moving on in sort of alphabetical order, corn, my heavens, sweet corn, popcorn, uh Whatever type ornamental of corn. corn, ornamental yes. corn, yes. Uh, don't mix them. <laughs> right, corn is another easy one to do with children. They, I did it with my sons and their friends when they were quite young in elementary school, and it was those friends kept coming over to check on those corns. They wanted to uh, see, you know, when when the harvest was there. So corn is something that has to be grown in a patch. So meaning. Not just in a row. You need a a patch, a square of minimum, absolute minimum would be three corn by three corn. So you've got nine plants, and observe the spacing. That it 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 they need to be. What would you say? Six inches, a foot apart. Yes, it depends on the varieties you're growing. Uh, generally, six six inches to twelve inches. Right. So it's your patch is going to be. You know, three feet by three feet if you're only using nine plants. A bigger patch is better. The reason is that corn is wind pollinated. So the corn stalk grows up. The ears that you're going to eat occur on the sides of that stalk. You'll get one or two per plant. And the pollinator, the the pollen, the, the male flowers with the pollen are on the very top of the stalk. And it takes time for that stalk to grow and produce that pollen at the top. And then when it's produced, it it travels to the ears by wind. Uh, you can shake the plant. That would work when the pollen is ready. And you'll know because when you shake it, you'll get a cloud of pollen out of the top of the plant. And it has to fall on one piece of pollen has to fall on every silk 
the things that we take off, the, those annoying hairy things that we take off of the corn ear when we are going to eat that ear, cook and eat, or maybe not cook and eat that ear. Each silk has to have a pollen uh, grain land on it in order for the corn kernel to form inside. There are a lot of varieties of uh, sweet corn and popcorn available. With sweet corn, uh, if you like, if you get the super sweet varieties, you really got to pay attention to when you need to pick them, because if you let them sit out there too long, they lose their sweetness. And you also need to pay a lot of attention to the planting and germinating instructions, because they have less of a food supply inside of their kernel than other corns do. Hmm, I did not know that. Okay. Yeah, they have to germinate really fast. And you do, like I mentioned, you do want to separate your sweet corn from your ornamental corn or your popcorn because uh, it is wind pollinated, and you don't you don't want to bite into what you think is sweet corn to break your tooth on a on a popcorn kernel. Right, or be really disappointed and think it's all sweet and get some stuff that's not that's more like field corn or the ornamental. My mother used to call it Indian corn. I'm right. sure that's not politically correct now, but very pretty different colors that she would hang on the on the door at uh, in the fall. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're talking separation. It's separation by space, but it can also be separation by time, correct? Yes. You're watching those tassels uh, carefully, and if you can time your plantings, probably, I would say, 30 days apart, uh, you would be safe. And that sounds maybe like a really long time, but corn should be planted when the soil is warm. So we're talking May, and that's a good time. The soil should be warm by then, but all the way through uh, July. Yeah. So you could plant in May, you could plant in June, and plant in July. So you could potentially get three different kinds of corn if you separate them by time and if you have the space. You have to have that patch. Old Farmer's Wisdom says you can plant corn while the crepe myrtle is in bloom. And around here, crepe myrtles are in bloom through what? August, September. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, sure. It's worth a try. You probably have the seeds. Seed packets have plenty of seeds in them. So, yeah, keep going until you run out of seed. Yeah. Now, if I may put in a good word for popcorn, I love popcorn. I used to grow it commercially, but I would grow the organic heirloom varieties. And heirloom popcorn has actual flavor, Mm -hmm. unlike uh, what you'd find at the grocery store. And don't get me started about pre-popped popcorn that they sell at grocery stores. I'm talking about the the kernels that you would take home and pop. Mm -hmm. Yes, your popcorn was wonderful. The heirloom popcorn just has such wonderful flavor. It's a different size. It's smaller. But you're not going to break your tooth on one of those unpopped kernels that are always at the bottom of the of the bowl. Uh, They they're just a crunchy uh, snack. Mm hmm. Very high in fiber. Very good for us. Yes. All right. Uh We made it through corn. Let's go to your favorite now. Cucumbers. Yeah, I, I, I do like cucumbers. I always have. When I was pregnant with my older son, I was working at an ag experiment station, and I always ate a full cucumber for lunch, <laughs> along with other things. But the, the guys I worked with always commented on that. All right. Did that help, or was that just like a, a ice cream phase thing? I think, yes. Okay. I think it probably was. I don't do that anymore, but I, yes. I, I I still eat lots of cucumbers. I like them way more than my husband does, but that's okay because I eat them. Make them into, you know, the salad where you cut them really thin on the mandolin and then put some 
vinegar with a little sugar and let them sit, sort of pickle them, but in a sweet sort of way. And you can make pickles out of cucumbers. Yes, you can buy pickling cucumbers and grow them, or you can just harvest almost any cucumber and pickle it, harvest it when it's small. You may not have the same texture. Pickling cucumber will have a really crisp texture. Um, but I, I uh, will, you know, just do anything you can do with the pickle. I'll do with the one cucumber I grow. Yeah, we'll, we'll get to that in a second. I want to go back to something you said that you use a mandolin uh, for slicing it. It seems like an awful waste of a nice musical instrument to be doing that <laughs> a mandolin is a garden to, uh, excuse me a kitchen tool a mandolin is a kitchen tool for the first slicing um i i have to warn you that you should get the the gloves that go with it uh they're they're minor silver i think they come in other colors but they it's easy to it, it's a sharp blade on a flat surface and you can angle the sharp blade by turning some some dials uh, to make the slices thicker or thinner. And it's really easy to get really close to that mandolin and slice parts of your fingers. Oh! And I did that. Oh. Yes. yes. It's very painful. I did it several times over and then I finally bought a glove and now I uh, have not done it since I bought the glove. But you can slice carrots and beets and cucumbers and and anything that you like that, that you would potatoes, if you were going to make a dish that needs thin slices of potatoes, whatever, anything like that, that's solid. You can easily slice very quickly on the kitchen mandolin. Sounds like a Vegematic to me. <laughs> but, but it's not electric. <laughs> okay. Well, no, Vegematic wasn't electric. It, I don't even know no. if they still sell it or not, but it, it was you, you basically, basically pressed down on the handles to, to slice it, and there were different screens or slicing devices you could put in, and when you press down, you'd either get julienne fries or steak fries. Or, oh, okay. Or, or a spiralizer. I have one of those. Yeah. I like the mandolin better. It's simple. I'm into simple tools. All right. Now, let's talk about one thing people complain about when it comes to cucumbers and that's bitterness tell us that right. story well number one is you start with the right seed seed of the cucumber that professes to not be bitter i like chelsea prize by renee's garden seed mm. uh they can grow to huge sizes and and i have never had a bitter one but check by the correct variety it will say bitterless or um, there are also burpless, which is another thing people complain about, that they eat cucumbers and it makes them belch. There are burpless cucumbers. And then you have to give them even moisture in the soil. If it gets dry and then wet and dry and then wet, you're likely to have bitter cucumbers. There are tales of, of ways to remove the bitterness. One is to peel the cucumber. That does help. Another is to slice off the end and maybe like an inch of the end and rub it v vigorously against the remaining cucumber and it'll get you'll get this foamy liquid that you wash away and that's supposed to remove the bitterness i don't know if that works really so it, to me it comes down to growing the correct cucumber all right there are uh armenian cucumbers which are not a cucumber they're a squash very different tasting there are lemon cucumbers which are uh, have sort of a lemony flavor. Uh, there are the old standbys like straight eight. So there are many different types of cucumbers. Let's talk about planting these from seed. And since we're talking about cucumbers, I think the seed planting instructions would also be true for other members in that family, such as squash and melons. 
you can buy many of the vegetables we're talking about already grown to uh, into a small plant from the nursery. And that if that's what you want to do, that that's your choice. I believe it's much better and healthier for the plant and you'll have greater success if you start them directly from seed in your garden. Cucumbers are one of those melons as well. But if you choose to buy the melons and cucumbers, uh, pumpkin, uh, squash, already grown at the nursery, make sure that the plant you buy has fewer than five leaves on it. If you buy one that is bigger, and that's always the temptation, if you're going to buy the plant, why not get the big one? If you buy a big cucumber, squash, melon, pumpkin, watermelon plant already grown in a pot and it has five or more leaves, it is likely going to be stunted. Hmm. It'll grow slowly. It'll get somewhat bigger. It'll never produce fruit for you. Five leaves or less then is what you're looking yes. for. Yes. Yes. When it comes the to smaller, the better. When we grew them, when I grew them with students at the college, we would have them just with the first true leaves. So the seed germinates. What comes up first is called the cotyledon. That is that package of food that has been in the seed that was feeding the the baby plant until it got above the ground and could feed itself. The cotyledons do turn green. They're typically just sort of oval shaped. Then you'll get the first true leaves, which are more lobed. Uh, they have um, a more in and out margin on them, and we would we would plant it so that they would germinate, and you would get um, just the first true leaves when you took that plant home. Which doesn't sound like a deal, except if you wait and get the bigger plant, you'll have nothing. The other is don't have them close together. Sometimes you'll buy a a, a little four inch pot, and it has two or three plants in it. If you plant them just as they are in the ground, again, they're not likely to produce fruit. Ooh, so Plants you have that to, are too to... close together will not produce fruit. So cull them out, cull to the strongest one? Yes. Uh, cut them off. Cut, cut the, I'd say plant them, give them a week or two to establish, see who's taking off and who's not. Cut off the ones that are not and leave just one. If you can't handle that, then you can separate them but I would use lots of water. I'd have a bowl of water, take the plant out of the pot, put the soil in the pot, swish it around. Do not handle the stems, handle the leaves, handle the roots. You're strong, much stronger than a stem and you can squash the stem. And if you squash the stem of a baby plant, you don't have a plant anymore. So handle them by the roots, handle them by the leaves until you can gently pull them apart while they're in the water. Water is a lubricant and it will allow the, the roots to come apart with the least amount of damage. These uh, plants in the cucurbit family, the, the cucumbers, the summer squash, the winter squash, uh, melons as well, they prefer that warmer soil if you're planting from seed, too. Absolutely, yes. They uh, can need soil at least 60 degrees, uh, melons 75 degrees, pumpkin 70, watermelon 70, squash 70. So you're looking at, at quite warm temperatures uh, and and if if your garden is well mulched for the winter, uh, one thing to do is move the mulch away and allow the sun to hit the soil directly, just so it will warm up. You can remulch it after you've planted, but letting the sun hit the soil rather than hitting the mulch will help the soil to heat up better. And then you can plant them. If you if you plant them into soil that's too cold, they will rot. Uh oh. 
We better wrap this up. I have to go move some mulch. The uh, so <laughs> let, let's talk a little bit about tomatoes and peppers and and finish this off and and give us the 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 world famous Debbie Flower tip for planting tomatoes and peppers. Well, both tomatoes and peppers typically often are purchased as transplants. And they're, however tall, six inches, let's say, as an example. Uh, and they, those stems can be planted of tomato and pepper only. Anything else we buy already started in a pot should be planted at soil level or even slightly above, maybe a half an inch above, because the media in the container will shrink over time and bring that stem right back down to soil level. But tomatoes and peppers can have their stems buried and they will produce roots off of those stems. And they will, when we bury them, we don't want to bury them straight down. We don't necessarily want to take the pot and the six, five, let's say five inches of stem and bury all of that. That puts our roots at seven or eight inches below soil level. That's a little deep, and there may not be enough oxygen down there for those roots to grow. So instead, we want to dig a trench and lay the plant in sideways uh, and bring just the tip up. One set of leaves is, is all that's required. You can have it taller than that if you want. And you'll often read that you have to remove the leaves that are your, you are burying, but that is not the case. I have done it many times where I do not remove the leaves. I just cover them over with soil and the plants do just fine. And by burying this stem, it actually strengthens the plant because the plant will naturally produce roots off of those stems and you'll have a much better rooted plant. And the roots are where water and nutrients are absorbed. The more roots you have, the more water and, and nutrients the plant can absorb, the more it can produce above ground. And we should point out, too, as any tomato grower can tell you, that uh, the sprouts that come up in your garden, usually in June, July and August from last year's tomatoes that you missed, those seeds germinated and uh, they, they come up. Well, that should tell you right away that it's not too late to plant tomatoes from seed uh, during the month of May with peppers. Yeah, you can, but it's going to be delayed gratification. You may not get edible peppers until August or September, but still you can plant both tomatoes and peppers from seed. The tomatoes, 50, 60 days, peppers, 70, 80 days. Yeah, and it might be nice to plant something that with a plan, maybe that you're going to freeze or can because the you're going to get this crop much later. There's harvest and then there's processing. And if you're harvesting in July and you have all these tomatoes, it's really hot. And to stand around in the kitchen and make sauce or, or uh, par, you know, parboil them to, to take the skins off or whatever, it's a hot job. So it's beneficial, I think, to start the ones that you're going to process to save later in the season. And then when they come due, when you get your harvest, you temperatures outside hopefully will be a little cooler. Yeah, there you go. We've talked for a long time because we love vegetables, and I'm, I'm not surprised at all. We sure do. The garden is fun. Debbie Flower, retired college horticultural professor. Let's get back to the garden. All right. I'm going out. I'm moving mulch. 
We like to get staff picks here at Green Acres. Steve is with us. Steve is a fruit tree specialist. I have an idea what his staff pick might be. Let's see if I'm right. Hi, Steve. Hi, how are you? I'm fine. Good. So hey. what, what's your favorite st- staff pick here? My, st- my favorite staff pick is an Asian pear called 20th Century uh, Asian pear. It's a self-fruiting Asian pear. It eats like an apple. It's very crunchy. It's about the size when it uh, ripens about the size of a softball. And it's really, really sweet. Really good. And it's self-fertile, so you don't need a, a pear with it? Exactly. Yeah, you don't need a, a, a pollinator to go with it. Excellent choice. The 20th century Asian pear in stock now? It is. I do have a lot of them in stock right now, and they look great. Check it out. The 20th century Asian pear. Steve, thanks for your staff pick. Well, thank you. Thank you very much, Fred. It's early May, and there's a lot to do in the garden. Keep your mower set at the highest or next to the highest blade setting. That's going to keep your fescue lawn healthy throughout this hot summer coming up. Is nutgrass driving you nuts? There are herbicides available that help control nutgrass, also known as nutsedge, in your lawns. Check with the garden gurus at Green Acres Nursery and Supply for more details. Shop for snail and slug control products that are non-toxic to your pets. Look on the label for iron phosphate as the active ingredient. I mentioned this last week, but I'm going to mention it again because it's that important. For bigger fruit and less stress on the fruit tree branches, thin the fruit on deciduous fruit trees now. That includes peaches, plums, apricots, nectarines, persimmons, apples, pears, kiwi, and pluots. Leave about six inches between any remaining pieces of fruit. Uh, There is some good news. You don't have to thin the fruit on cherry trees or nut trees. Thank you for listening to the Green Acres Garden Podcast with Farmer Fred, brought to you by Green Acres Nursery and Supply, now with seven locations in the greater Sacramento area, including the newest store in Citrus Heights at Greenback and San Juan. For more information and to find the store nearest to you, visit idiggreenacres.com. And for more great garden information, check out the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred podcast, available wherever you get your podcasts. Gardeners, we appreciate Appreciate your ears. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are Fred Hoffman's or his guests. These gardening tips and suggestions may work for you, as well as those from alternative sources available. When using any garden products or tools, read and follow all label directions.